So here, here's a question I want to ask as we get going today. How many of you like puzzles? Okay, two of you, good. So this will be a good sermon for both of you, all right? Mystery, how many of you like that, you know? Intrigue. Um, there, is a, there is a popular uh, or a large group of people that enjoy puzzles and figuring things out and how to get to certain outcomes in life, and whether it's through crossword puzzles. Anybody do crossword puzzles? All right. Sudoku, Sudoku, Sadaku, whatever you call it, right? Anybody do that? All right. Uh, my, my mother-in-law used to do these things called cryptograms. Anybody know what a cryptogram is? It's like decoding stuff, all right? You figure it out. So some people like puzzles, and here's how I thought we would start today. We would start with a couple of puzzles to get your mind thinking in that direction, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. And so over the next few minutes, or a couple of seconds, we're going to do some of these, all right? And some of you can look at that immediately, know what it is, right? How many of you know what that is? Okay, right? That's too funny four words. All right, you there? All right. Apparently not. All right. So we're going to do a few of those. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Don't yell it out. Don't yell it out. Well, stop. All right. Some of you know that immediately. If you know it, just say it to your to the person next to you or whatever. If you don't, if you if if you get tired of your partner knowing the answer and you don't, just say quit talking to me. All right. All right. So you can go to the next one. All right. Here's the next one. All right. Sit there for a second. Three, two, one. What is that? That's once in a blue moon. How many of you got that? Yeah, I appreciate you people admitting you didn't, all right? Because really, how do we know? All right, here's the second one. All right, what is that? Two left feet. You see that? All right, here's another one. Oh, so not so quick on that one. In the first service, somebody said, moral decline. Like, no, it is moral support, right? Ben York told me today he's not here to hear the sermon, just for moral support. Thanks, Ben. All right? And so there's moral support. Another one, all right? Back to square one, right? Anybody remember the TV show Square One, by the way? No. Go look it up on YouTube. All right, it's good. All right, what about this one? Six feet under. Y'all are thoroughly unimpressed. That's all right. Here's the last one, promise. Turn the other cheek right there. Mr. Carpenter right in the middle. All right, here, here's, what, here's what I love most about mysteries, about puzzles, about things like that. Here's what I love the most. I love when I figure out the answer. Right? Now, some of you say, no, that's not me. I like the journey that it takes to get there. Like if you're doing a puzzle, you love getting all the pieces together. I don't. I like it done. Right? You look back on it and you see what's happened and you figured it out and all of that's kind of there. And here's the reason we're talking about that today is because over the last few weeks we've been in the, the book of Ephesians and we've been talking about this concept of who we are in Christ. What the Bible says about us, what God thinks about us. And we've been trying to answer this question. And the simple question is, how do you fill in the blank? I am. And today we're going to see something a little different than what we've kind of been doing. We, we talked the first week about being blessed 
And then we talked about being noticed or, or appreciated by God the second week. And then we talked about being rescued. And then last week about being reconciled. And so today we're going to talk in something a little bit different, a, a little uh, different kind of concept. And it revolves around a word that most of us think we're familiar with, but maybe not in the way we're going to talk about it today. And so today we're going to fill in that blank with this thought that I am a mystery. And some of you may be saying, that's exactly what I think about my spouse right there. A mystery, right? Maybe it's about you. I don't understand myself sometimes. I am a mystery. Now, when I say the word mystery, what do you think of? Scooby-Doo, the greatest detective in the history of the world. Shaggy, too. Okay? Who else? Who do you think of? When I say mystery, what do you think of? Sherlock Holmes. Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys, right? Most of us think through, this is what we think, all right? We think of a story, of a TV show, a movie, um, a book series, literature, Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, CSI, NCIS, those shows or literature where you don't, you, you know something happened, but you have no idea who did it until you get to the end and you walk through all kinds of clues and red herrings and false ways, and then finally at the end you figure out that it was the person that you saw for two minutes at the beginning of the show that you thought had nothing to do with anything, that they bring back to the end and go, aha, it was them, right? It's like you keep going through these dead ends. We went to a Honeysuckle Hill Farm, the pumpkin patch, you know, because I think once you get past two kids, you're required to go to a pumpkin patch every year, all right? And so we went to the pumpkin patch, and they have added a house of fun, which is not an appropriate name for it when you're carrying a um, 18-month-old through, right? Because they had those, you know, those plastic sheets, and there'd be four walls, you had to figure out your way to get through, and there'd be dead ends, and the entire time I'm in there, Ava is screaming, you know, in my ear, like Daddy wanted to think stuff's hitting her in the face. She didn't want to go. Okay, it was not the house of fun at all. But the point is, you kept going different places, and you'd fi- finally find, okay, this is the way, and you go that way. And when a lot of us think of the word mystery, we think of that kind of idea of not knowing what's at the end, but we're picking our way through, trying to find the right clue, the right method, the right way, and we gradually get there, and then at the end we go, ah, there it is. We got it. That's not the kind of mystery we're talking about today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't, it'll be on the screen today, and you can kind of just follow along with us there. But I want us to see how Paul talks about mystery. Because it is important for us to understand this, and Paul does declare in this passage that we are a mystery. Look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. By the way, um, Paul here is starting a thought that he's then going to leave and come back to in verse 14. Paul's starting to say, what he's saying there is, I'm Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. He's getting ready to pray, and then something enters his mind, and before he knows it, he spent 12 verses talking about it and goes back in verse 14 and said, oh, wait a minute, this is back to what I was thinking of. All right? Any of y'all have those kind of moments, right? You're having a conversation, and in preaching we call it chasing rabbits, 
which just is different than getting off the subject. But that's what Paul does here. So he says, I'm thinking about you in light of what we just talked about, all that happened with God bringing you and Jews and Gentiles together, God reconciling you to himself, God reconciling you to one another. On behalf of you, you have heard, haven't you? Just reminding you, let's be sure of what we know about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. Now, let's stop right there for a second. What Paul says is, here, I just want to remind you real quickly of the reason you're here, of why we're in this spot, and it's because God has given me something that it is my job to give to you. And he uses the word administration there, which has almost become a bad word in our society because of red tape and because of bureaucracy and because of all the paperwork and all that to fill out. That's not what it means here. What it means here is Paul is saying, it was given to me. It is my job to make sure you get it in exactly the same way that it was given to me. I am called to be an administrator, which means to take it from one place and give it to another. So let's remind you of what that is. Look at verse 3. The mystery, there's our key word, was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. Now we're going to stop there. The word mystery here is a word that is used a lot in the New Testament, and it's used a lot by Paul in the book of Ephesians. And here's the interesting thing. Mystery is a word that we get directly from the New Testament or from that culture, the Greek culture. Because the word here, if you look at it in the original language, is mysterion. And if you just write it in English like it looks in Greek, it is almost exactly the same word. So it's just a word that we've picked up and brought to our culture. But we have changed the meaning of it over the years. How long ago did Paul write this? How long ago was this that Paul was writing? You know, Somewhere around 1,950 years, give or take. A few. Is that a long time? Yeah, that's kind of, that's a little bit, right? And so as it's come to our language, we today talk about mystery. We talk about not knowing something at the end, trying to get there, trying to figure it out, taking all the clues, going around. And when we get to the end, we have that aha moment. Look what happened back there. I should have seen this and this and this and this. Oh, that's not what Paul says. Paul here is talking about mystery in this sense. A mystery to Paul is something that used to only be known to God that he has made known to us. Something formerly only known to God that he has made known to us. And to emphasize that, he says, it was made known to me by revelation. Okay? Another interesting word because the the word for revelation in the original language is the word apocalypse. And people talk about all the time, hey, when's the apocalypse happen? What do they mean when they say that? When's the world going to end, right? Well, here's what Paul would say. The apocalypse has already happened because he has already revealed the mystery to us about himself. Now, I'm not talking about some crazy end time kind of thing, okay? What it means is that there was something only God knew. An apocalypse literally means to lift the veil, to remove the curtain. And it has been revealed to us. It has been shown to us. In fact, he's going to remind us, and go on to the next verse, that it was something that was not made known to other generations, revealed now. It, it was something that was 
clothed, something that was veiled, something that was not known for generations upon generations. People have longed to know this for hundreds of years, thousands of years. But God has now recently, in our generation, and this is Paul talking, revealed it to us. This is kind of important stuff, right? I mean, this is, this is kind of one of those things that has been looked at, thought about, dreamed about for generations. Mankind can do anything to find out what it was that God knew, that only God knew that he wanted to reveal. But all of the sudden, God lifts the curtain back. He removes the covers and he says, here is the mystery revealed. Here's what it says. This is the mystery. Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Non-Jewish people. Okay, We may have somebody of Jewish descent in here, but by and large, that's us. All right. Here's the mystery. Gentiles, and then he uses three words that all have in the original language the word co in front of it. Gentiles are co-heirs, co-members of the same body, co-partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, this is the mystery. The mystery is how you who were far away from God have been brought into a relationship with him and you have the same standing as everybody else who is a follower of Jesus Christ. You are the mystery. You are the plan of God that was not revealed for centuries upon centuries that has now had the curtain pulled back and you are it. The grand reveal is you. Paul is reminding the Ephesians before he talks to them for a minute, before he gives them some instruction. In fact, what is happening here is Paul is getting ready to tell them, because of who you are, this is what you ought to do. When we make a transition, after next week, we're going to transition into chapter 4. And in chapter 4, he begins to say, here is the practical things you do because you have been blessed, because you have been rescued, because you have been reconciled, because you are this mystery that has been revealed after it was kept secret for generations upon generations, because God now looks at you and accepts you and just looks at you as someone who is his son, is his child. Because of that, this is what you need to do. He's getting ready to make that transition. But before he does, he wants to remind them one last time and one more prayer that this is major stuff we're talking about. You who had no hope or future or chance outside of Jesus Christ have been revealed to be the plan from God from all along to rescue you. Co-heirs, co-members, one of Paul's favorite phrases, that we're all together in this and no one is more important than any other and co-partners of the promise. The, the Jewish people had promises of God throughout their life. And God, and God is now saying to us, you have those promises given to you. Then Paul goes on. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. And he says, I'm just reminding you, that my purpose in life is to tell you about what God has done for you. Now, I want you to notice in that, this is important for us to think through. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and we talked about the difference between dog theology and cat theology. All right? 
If you remember, cat theology, uh, cats are the kind of pets that have a great owner. They do a lot of work for them, and cats look at it and say, I must be a great cat. Right? Dogs are the ones that have a great owner to get taken care of, and they look at it and say, I must have a great owner. Paul is a dog theology guy. He says, I was made. It wasn't me that did it. God chose me as a servant of this gospel, in case you don't get that, by the gift of His grace that was given to me outside of myself by the working of His power. It's all God taking care of this. It is God giving me the purpose of taking the message to you. And as he moves forward into verse 8, he's going to tell them that because that was His job, it is their now, now their responsibility as well. Verse 8 and 9. The grace was given to me, the least of all saints. I don't think that's pious talking by Paul. I think he believes that. And this is the reason, and this is what I want us to think through today for just a few minutes. It was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all, that's everybody, about the administration of the mystery, there's that word again, hidden for ages in God who created all things. So here we go. Paul says, because we are, because as Gentiles you are, Paul is saying, because people in general are this mystery that God loves so much He sent His Son to die for us, our job now is to be administrators, servants of that, and proclaim it to everyone else. It is our job to take the message of the gospel to others. Some of you may remember this. Do you remember the, the, when Jesus calls his first disciples? Do you remember what he says to them? He walks up to them. They're fishing or at the tax booth. What does he say to them? What's the first thing he says to them? Some of you are jumping to the end of the quote, all right? What's the first thing he says? Follow me, Right? And Paul is reminding them of basically that, that you have responded. You have said yes to the call on your life by Jesus Christ to follow him. He has asked you to follow and you have said yes. Gentiles, he's saying, don't forget that you are the reason for Jesus' death. You are my mission. You are what God has burdened me with. You are the one. And think about this. Paul, before he is given as the preacher to the Gentiles, he is the most adamant persecutor of the church he would have hated gentiles but jesus changes his life and he becomes the one that takes the message to them that defends them that takes them in and says we are one you are no longer separate people we are a new race we are different we are one together and he says listen once you have accepted that call of jesus christ to follow once you've accepted that call of jesus christ to do something about what he has asked you to do. The next step, and some of you said this, is he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now he's talking to fishermen, right? And he says, listen, if you follow me, this is the beginning of Matthew, if you follow me, what you're doing now, fishing for fish, will seem inconsequential and will not matter, and it will go away. But if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. I will give you a much more important task. I will give you a purpose in life that is greater than just going out there and putting nets down and pulling up fish and putting nets down and pulling up fish. I will give you something that's more important. And it's no coincidence that we get to the end of Matthew, that same book where he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We get to the end of Matthew and he says to them, now go into all the world and create, make disciples, teaching them what I have taught you. 
teaching to obey at all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying the same thing that is echoed throughout Scripture, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is necessarily true that you will take time to share what God has done for you with others. You are the mystery, and your job is to proclaim that elsewhere. Did Jesus' followers do that? I mean, like his disciples, his apostles. Did they proclaim Jesus? Absolutely, right? I mean, we wouldn't be here today without them going out, Peter going out and preaching to the point that he was arrested multiple times, and by the end of his life, people got so fed up with him, they crucified him upside down for proclaiming Jesus. Every apostle except for John was killed because they proclaimed Jesus. John was exiled onto a prison island, and they attempted to kill him by putting him in hot, boiling oil. Doesn't that sound fun? He didn't die. So they put him on a prison island. Even Paul, who's in prison at this moment, says, I'm in prison for you, it's okay. He will die. That Most tradition holds that Nero, the guy that fiddled while Rome burned, beheaded Paul because of his preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that for you to, to be in awe of what they did. What I'm saying is the natural inclination of those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ is that we proclaim Jesus no matter what. Now, here's the reason. Because as the mystery has been revealed, we know what the outcome is. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but I am a St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan. Can I get an amen? Maybe not. All right. And I don't know if you know this or not, but they are up 2-0 currently in the league championship series. And in my, in my purgatory of Tennessee football years that have been the last five or six, my Cardinals have been a ray of hope. Friday night I did something I haven't done in a long time. I went to bed before the game was over. Now, those of you who follow baseball, if you don't follow baseball, you're looking at me, just get through the story, be done with it, all right? It went 13 innings, the longest first game to a championship series in history, 13 innings. I went out about the ninth. Okay? I used to be the kind of guy that could stay up. I had been at Honeysuckle Hill with my kids all day, all right? I'm lucky I made it till 10 o'clock. And so in the middle of the night, about 3 o'clock, I wake up, and I have it set that the, it sends me a text message anytime the Cardinal game end the score, and I looked at the phone, and I picked it up, and in my blurry eyes, I saw Dodgers 2, Cardinals 3. Put the phone back down and thought, you know, had a moment of celebration there in the bed without waking anybody up, went back to sleep, woke up the next morning, I have the Major League Baseball package that I can watch the games. Sat down and decided to watch the rest of the game. Do you know how great it was to watch that game knowing that they were going to win? Right? I mean, I knew the outcome. I knew it was 3-2. to two. So in the 10th inning, when the Dodgers get a guy on third base with one out and a big-time hitter coming up, I'm like, Haha, don't have to worry about this. He hits a fly ball. looks like, oh, how did he not? And in my mind, I'm thinking, how did he not score on this? I mean, it's going. The guy catches the ball. Beltran catches it. Guns him out at the play. I'm like, that's how it happened. I knew it had to happen. Right? Thirteenth inning comes up. I go, well, this is the inning we score. Good to know that. 
I've decided that I'm watching every Tennessee football game that way the rest of my life. Georgia was too much for me. All right? You just... Knowing the end makes all the difference. And Paul is basically saying, the mystery's been revealed. Jesus Christ has given his life for you. You are his. And he will bring it together in the end. So now, live like you know the end. In fact, he's going to tell them another amazing thing. And we're going we're to see a couple of things he says that are just amazing. It goes on in verse 10. This is God. This is so. Us explaining the gospel to other people, the mystery to other people, is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church. Through what? The church. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. Where is that? Is that Washington, D.C.? That is definitely not heaven. I don't know what it is. That's not heaven. Look at this. I mean, think about this for a minute. He is saying that we are the mystery revealed by God from time vast. He had held on to it. He had not displayed it. But now he has let it be known that the mystery is that he wanted all people, including Gentiles, to come and be a part of his family. And that he uses us. He wants us to be the demonstration of that to the heavenly authorities. Now, I'll just tell you, if you want some real light reading for your bedtime... Scholars have spent hundreds of pages trying to figure out what he means there. I'll give you the Lyle Cliff Note version. There are spiritual forces that are consistently attacking and going after God and his people. And what it says here to me is those rulers and authorities that have their position only because God allows it, God is using us as the front-line warriors in the eternal spiritual battle that is going on. Now, if, if you think, well, that's a little out there, we got a few weeks to go till we get to Ephesians chapter 6, where the whole last part is about spiritual warfare. And so what is happening, he says, is you are the frontline warriors demonstrating to the spiritual realm, look at God's plan and how great he is and how powerful he is. Look at the church and those people. And to be honest with you, the reason we have such a hard time with this is because most days we don't feel like frontline warriors. We feel like cowering soldiers, ashamed representatives. And he says, this is amazing, that this has been his eternal purpose that he accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. This is all part of the plan. Verse 12. In him, because of all of that, all right, because he has saved us, because he has blessed us, because he has reconciled us, because he has rescued us, because he validates us, because he accepts all that we are, because we are the mystery that God has revealed of himself. Because of that, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. He says, because you know that Jesus has saved you and loves you and cares for you, and because you know he's working it all out in the end, because you know that he is more powerful than anything on this earth, because of that, you ought to be able to live with complete boldness. 
no fear, no shame, no worry. Those apostles had no fear, no shame, no worry about proclaiming Jesus Christ, even though it meant being hung on a cross upside down. Even though it meant being beheaded. Even though it meant being stoned. Even though it meant being pulled apart. Even though it meant being sawn in two. All stories from the first apostles. He says, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you realize what he has done for you, then boldness is just a natural tendency of your life. And he throws this in there at the end. I want to just briefly mention it and then we're going to be done. He says, so I ask you, don't get discouraged over the fact that I'm in jail. It's for you and for the glory of God. Can I tell you this? Bold living does not mean easy living. Bold living does not mean everything works out. It doesn't mean that everything's good. It doesn't mean that everything's just right. In fact, bold living will more than likely mean difficult living. Bold living will more than likely mean tough living. Bold living more than likely means persecuted, suffering living. But Paul will say elsewhere, so what? I consider the momentary struggles of this life nothing compared to the eternal glory I will see when I am with my Savior. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. You know, sometimes when I have conversations with people and I'll ask them, how are you doing today? And, you know, everything going all right? You good? Well, I'm here. Another day and I woke up. You know what Paul says? He says every day we wake up is a day that we don't gain what we gain in death. Right? For those of us that are believers, what do we gain in death? Everything, basically. Right? In death, we gain Christ, we gain perfection, we gain no illness, we gain no goodbyes, we gain all of that stuff. And so Paul says, for me to live is is Christ, that's good, I'll, I'll do that, I'll keep living here. To die is gain, I would rather, he says, go and be with the Lord, but he has a task for me today that I must continue doing. And so here's the question. No matter what comes your way, no matter what persecution, no matter what difficulty, no matter what happens... Are you confident enough to say, I'm going to boldly live for the Lord because of what he's done for me? And whatever the ramifications are, they are. Let's pray.